Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, as we continue our Walks of Faith sermon series, um, our reading comes to us from the Psalter, Psalm 23. Famous 19th century abolitionist and clergy Henry Ward Beecher once wrote that the 23rd Psalm is the nightingale of the Psalms and will be sung to generations across time and until every pilgrim is safely home in the care of God. No other Psalm has captured the imagination of worshipers quite like Psalm 23. Its words have comforted countless grieving and dying inspired thousands of hymns and along with the Lord's Prayer is by far the most memorized passage of scripture. The theme of God as a shepherd was common in ancient Israel and Mesopotamia. This imagery and language were well known to the community that created the Psalm and was easily imported into its worship. The header or the first verse of the psalm ascribes authorship to King David in the Hebrew scriptures to have, he is said to have been a shepherd of the field himself in his youth. However, there are some scholars that do not agree with the attributed authorship and hypothesize that there are various other possibilities commonly dating into the post-exilic period of Israel's history. The shepherd metaphor, with all its varied expressions, raises the historical memory of people shepherded by God. Unique to Psalm 23, however, is the extremely personal expression of God's care. Nowhere else in the Bible does anyone say, the Lord is my shepherd. And herein lies the key to the vibrancy of Psalm 23 in the life of faith. Hear now these timeless words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word.
Have you ever had one of those awkward moments when you're maybe giving an important speech or some presentation at work or at school and you inadvertently commit one of those um, slips of the tongue? It's like your brain is working so fast and your lips, you know, are even faster and they're not coordinated together and you, you transpose or mix up a few syllables or letters and before you know it, you've said something embarrassing or uh, illogical like a, a crushing blow is a blushing crow or a bear hug is a hair bug, um, a bad salad, a, a sad ballad. These weird slips of the tongue are called spoonerisms. Maybe you've heard of spoonerisms before. They're named after an Anglican priest named William Archibald Spooner about a hundred years ago, who became famous not so much for what he said, but for how he said what he said. Spoon and fork became foon and spork, or let me show you to your seats became let me sew you to your sheets. <laughs> They're called spoonerisms. You can look it up. And Spooner's most famous spoonerism came about when one day he was preaching about God, and he meant to say, the Lord is my shepherd. But what came out of his mouth, actually, was the Lord is a shoving leopard. You can Google it. It really happened. When you think about God, do you envision God as more like a loving shepherd or a shoving leopard? The 23rd Psalm begins with those words, the Lord is my shepherd. It's one of the, one of the most familiar and, and treasured and beloved passages in all of Scripture. It is right up there with for God so loved the world, or I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know some of these passages, and you know that the Lord's, or the 23rd Psalm is right near the top of that list. The Lord is my shepherd. I've read the 23rd Psalm hundreds of times, both for personal devotion in places of worship like this, most often at funerals or memorial services, because the power and the healing and the comforting words of Psalm 23 speak to this universal experience of the longing for comfort and for, for partnership and for leadership and presence. It wasn't until this week, as I was preparing this message, that I had remembered uh, 27 years ago that these words of the 23rd Psalm were the very last words I spoke to my father before he died. And I, I don't mean at all for that to sound presumptuous or spiritually uh, religious in any way. I, I hadn't actually planned to, to speak or read scripture to my father when he was dying. In fact, quite the opposite. I, the day before, I, I felt like I had said everything I needed to say to my father before he died while he was still awake and lucid. But by the following afternoon, he had slipped into unconsciousness, and his vitals began to, to decline. It was clear that this was happening and happening quickly. And the nurse bent over him and listened to the slowing drumbeat of his heart, and, and then gave me this knowing glance and said to me unexpectedly, come speak words of comfort to your father. He can still hear you she said. And then she left the room, and it was just the two of us. 
And I didn't know in the moment what to say to my father. That hadn't already been said, and I wasn't even sure that my father would expect me in that moment to say anything at all. But now he was slipping away and time was running out, and the nurse's suggestion caused me to suddenly worry that maybe my father can still hear me, and maybe he is expecting me to say something, and if I didn't say something, it might disappoint him or sadden him or upset him, because as you may know, this is what grief and loss does to us. It plays these crazy mind games on us. And so I could see myself suddenly panicking in that moment, like grasping for something meaningful to say, anything. And I was coming up empty when all at once the words of Psalm 23 just seemed to speak themselves into the room, all on their own, into that sad and tender moment. And it was as if these words of the psalm came from some mysterious place inside of me I didn't even know existed. From beyond that place in the mind where rote memorization resides, you know, from almost some distant ancient memory that had been a part of me before I was even a part of this world, this wisdom that had been handed down to all of us from generation to generation over thousands of years, this wisdom that had been sung and recited and prayed and chanted around campfires of our ancestors and sages so many years ago. And the psalm seemed to speak by the power of its own deep longing just to be heard. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And in that moment, all at once, the words of Psalm 23 transported me and my father to some other little place. We left that little hospital room and found ourselves in green pastures, where just for a moment, one last time, we could rest a while. And then it led us on from there to these still peaceful waters where together we waded in the streams of grace and forgiveness for all that stood between us. And it led us down these paths of righteousness that restored our souls and emboldened us for what was about to come next as we came to the entrance of that dark valley of the shadow of death, the valley that no one ever, ever, ever wants to go through, and yet every one of us must go through. And there the psalm, all on its own, whispered this next line to help us both believe what was so very difficult to believe, but what we both wanted desperately to believe. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. I share all of that with you simply because I have learned in that moment and over the course of my life of following this loving shepherd that I cannot live without a a flock. And I cannot journey without a shepherd in my life. What makes Psalm 23 so powerful and timeless and I think resonant in our lives is that it speaks of this God who is, among all other things, most importantly, a loving shepherd. And as it does that for us, it speaks about who we are as something like sheep. This is both comforting and a bit disturbing all at once, by the way, because honestly, 
who among us really wants to be a sheep? In our minds, uh, sheep are sheepish. They're skitterish. They're overeating, ever bleeding, uh, um, cud chewing prairie dwellers who really have a, no apparent purpose in the world except to graze. And we assume this because maybe we've spent some time at petting zoos, right? Uh, and we think we know all about sheep, but most of us haven't spent much time with sheep, and so we don't know the real truth about them. And even if we did, we probably still wouldn't like to be compared to one. But why is this comparison so fair and accurate? It's because sheep are mostly vulnerable, very sensitive, deeply needy creatures, especially when they're on their own. Without a leader, sheep are prone to wander aimlessly, and they will happily follow just about any leader anywhere, even a leader who's leading into a certain danger, just because they want to belong. In other words, sheep are these high-trust individuals, but despite their remarkable intelligence, they're not very street smart. And what's worse, they have, they have no defense mechanism against predators except this one mechanism called flocking. But it turns out that their instinctive flight response to predators also causes them to panic and scatter from the flock. Imagine that. When they are scared, they run away from the one and only thing that can save and protect them, the flock. And whenever they get separated from their flock, sheep totally freak out. They get super stressed. If they can't see their sheep mates when they're grazing, they won't eat. They get agitated, they're anxious, and they, if they lose that visual contact, they, they're prone to scatter and, and panic even more. So just keeping a flock of sheep together, all at once, in one place, and all at peace, it's something of a, of a miracle. It's a miracle for these rather nutty, uptight, suspicious creatures. So, now that you know a little bit more about sheep, how does it feel to, to be compared to one of them? I think it describes us pretty well, accurately, fairly, because we, like sheep, are highly vulnerable, super, super needy creatures when we are alone. We are prone to wander aimlessly, and we will sometimes follow any leader, even dangerous ones. We get stressed out a lot. We live with this degree of agitation in our lives. Sometimes we freak out. We scatter. And we all long desperately to belong to a flock, even as we pretend in this world that we can live without one. And maybe this is why Psalm 23 resonates so deeply with us moderns, because it names what so many of us lack and what so many of us hunger for, yet we do not know it the very thing that we need most, but the one thing we've somehow convinced ourselves we can live without, and that is a flock, a community, a gathering of people, however perfect, uh, to whom we can belong and through whom we find shelter and sanctuary. 
and that in a world that seems more and more these days to be marching headlong into the valley of the shadow of death. We try to live and journey alone, and so we live and journey in fear and suspicion and stress and danger and even hopelessness. The writer of Psalm 23 understands that he's not alone in his predicament here and that he cannot journey apart from his flock and his shepherd. Not only does he have a loving shepherd, as he says, but he also has this flock, a flock of other sheep like you and me, like all of us together, who are just trying to follow a shepherd as we make our way through the dark valleys. Some scholars believe that the writer of Psalm 23 is actually, actually in desperate uh, need. Some would say he is actually writing this psalm in the midst of being in the temple while it's under siege by an invading army. Other scholars suggest that he's going through some personal valley of his own, and he composes this psalm maybe in the midst of a crisis of faith or his disillusionment about the state of the world. Maybe the doctor just left the room and, and gave him a terrible diagnosis. Or maybe his child is in deep need and he doesn't know what to do. Or maybe his marriage is broken or his heart is broken or his mind is broken. And whatever in that moment he's feeling, he's starting to begin to feel sheepish as well. And as he walks through this valley of the shadow, he wants to believe that there is some community and some shepherd leading it where he can find grace and presence and protection. Maybe he's a lot like so many people I talk to more and more these days who look at the world and see the valley of the shadow growing deeper and darker and whiter and are feeling super vulnerable. Bloody conflicts in Ukraine and the Middle East, the thousands of innocent lives that are lost to senseless terrorism and indiscriminate retaliation. Swells of migrants and refugees fleeing global violence gathering at our borders, a federal government that doesn't want to govern, another mass shooting, and more and more of us every day trying to walk through that valley of darkness by ourselves. I did a recent interview with a podcast and I was asked the most curious question. The interviewer asked me, why today would anybody still want to go to church? She said, given how so many churches these days are broken and how so many of those broken churches are breaking really good people with toxic Christianity and a lot of hypocrisy and scandal and some bad theology, why would anybody want to do it? I told the interviewer that no one should ever, ever, ever go to a broken church that's breaking people. And if your church is breaking you, I said, you should find another church. Because there are still churches in this world that are healing and caring for people and healing the world too. And the kind of church this world needs right now is the kind of church that's not a perfect church by any means. But it's made up of a bunch of sheep who know they are vulnerable in this world and yet dare to be faithful in the midst of that vulnerability. People who are still just trying to follow a loving shepherd 
who promises to show them how to care for each other and to love each other and to heal the world. When churches do that kind of flock work really well, I think those churches might be our best hope and maybe our only hope for getting this world through the dark valleys that we're enduring these days right now. It is no secret more people today than ever before are trying to live their lives apart from a flock. And and not only do they suffer for it, but I am convinced that the world suffers for it too. The shadows of the valley always grow darker when the sheep scatter. And so many are asking, why would anybody want to go to church today? Why would anybody want to be a part of a flock called the church? And maybe the simple answer is to become the light of the world in a world and valleys of darkness. Isn't that what Jesus told us in Matthew? You are the light of the world. That's why I know I cannot live without a flock and live without a loving shepherd that's leading it. Apart from that light of Christ that's kindled in community like this, I'm convinced that our souls and the soul of the whole world grows only darker, not lighter. If we have never been in spaces like this to hear the ancient prophets rail against injustice, how can we ever know how to resist evil and injustice and oppression and violence and racism and other forms of hatred if we have never been here? The shadows in that experience only grow darker in the absence of places like this. If we have never once heard the words of Jesus who said, when you fed that hungry person, you fed me. And when you visited that lonely person, you visited me. If we've never heard that, how can we ever be empowered to see others in need, the forgotten, the beaten down, with any degree of, of compassion? In that moment, we just grow smaller and our light grows dimmer. If we've never once heard the promises of that loving shepherd who says to us, you are forgiven and you are accepted and you are healed and restored, how can we ever endure the personal setbacks and hardships and blow-ups and screw-ups that will inevitably come to every one of our lives? Without hearing those words, our lives just grow dimmer. And if we have never once heard the radical teachings of Jesus, who says to us, I am sorry to inform you, but you must love those who hate you, and you must forgive those who have hurt you, and you must pray for your enemy. If we have never heard that radical teaching, how can we ever, ever, ever be at peace with ourselves or our neighbors or with anybody in this world. The shadows only grow dimmer or darker, and the valleys only grow more impassable when the sheep scatter. And the good news of Psalm 23 is that the light grows brighter for all of us whenever we as sheep gather together in flocks and dare still to follow 
this loving shepherd who always leads us through the dark valleys. This is the ancient wisdom of the psalm. It's handed down from generation to generation over thousands of years to the sheep that came before us. It continues to speak today, sometimes only by the sheer power of its own deep longing to be heard. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. In the valley of the shadow, it says we have nothing to fear, but that is only true if we can remember that we are like sheep, sheep who simply cannot live without each other. Takeaways for today, the Lord is a loving shepherd. The shadows in the valley only grow darker when the sheep scatter. The light only grows brighter when the sheep stay together. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.